Praise the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Must be a Wednesday. <sighs> Let's all stand. <sighs> nope, not going to say that. <clears throat> it is my little thing. Amen. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. It, it sure is. It's midweek. We're all a little bit stressed and strained, a little bit wearied from the week. <clears throat> Almost all of us. <laughs> but spiritually, we come and we get refreshed in the presence of God. He is our rest. He is our refuge, our strength, our shield, our buckler, our high tower, and our strong defense in whom we trust. Amen. It is a joy and it is a pleasure and it's a privilege to be able to enter into His presence at any time and at any place. Make our petitions, our requests known unto Him, our cares and our concerns, but most importantly, to sit at His feet to commune with Him, to fellowship with our Creator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an awesome opportunity we have this evening to do exactly that. We're going to pray for our service this evening, that God's perfect will would be accomplished here. And uh, again, this is His service. We are His people. This is not a coincidence that we are here at this time gathered together. Well, it was on the schedule. We do this every Wednesday. That's true, but... That's for a reason. And it's not a coincidence that you're here. Others are not here. That's not coincidence. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. I believe that with all my heart. Everything happens for a purpose, for a reason. If God is on the throne, then those things happen for a reason. Amen. Let's go to Him in prayer, praise, worship, whatever you're feeling in your heart. But let's pray for our service this evening. Let's touch the throne of grace. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're a mighty King. We do heap glory and honor unto the Most High God this evening. You are altogether worthy to receive our worship and our praise today. You're worthy this evening to receive our full attention, our complete and absolute attention. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give you all of ourselves here this evening in this service in your service, we dedicate ourselves afresh to you, to hear your voice, to feel your touch, to spend time in your presence, to allow you to transform us and mold us and shape us into your image. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are my King. You are my Lord, my God, my Savior, my Redeemer. You are the lover of my soul. You are the one who died for me. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are an awesome God. You are a great and glorious God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do laud and magnify You this evening. We're entrusting this service to You, that You would work in this place, that You would speak, that You would minister, that You would move according to our need, according to Your perfect will this evening. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're expecting awesome things of you tonight on this Wednesday service. It doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter what service it is. You are here. You're here this evening. So anything is possible. Anything can happen in our midst here tonight. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. And it's all because that you are here. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us this evening. Help us to receive of you all that you have. Let your name be glorified in our midst here today. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do worship and praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have in store here this evening. Amen. Praise God. He's an awesome God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you so very much. We have men's prayer breakfast this Saturday. Amen. Right there. I knew there was something I needed to say. Feb 5, 9 a.m. at Thorpe. Uh, Brother Shepherd was wanting to do kind of a carpool up there. I thought that would be a hoot. I would love doing that. Uh <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought that would be fun. But uh, uh, if you're interested in that, uh, I'll get I'll get details coordinated. Uh, if not, you know, you can drive up certainly by yourself. That's fine. But I thought it'd be kind of a fun time, a little bit of fellowship, uh, a little bit of joking back and forth, like we men like to do. Amen. That'll be good. Uh, but. Uh, let me know if that's something you're interested in. I'll get with uh, Brother Shepherd and coordinate that. Otherwise, uh, we'll just see you up there. Amen. Uh, February 12th, we are going to have a men's prayer breakfast. Prayer. No breakfast. Prayer uh, from 8. Scheduled from 8 to 9. We'll probably, probably have to cut it a little bit early, maybe a quarter till or something like that. Uh, because at 9 o'clock, we're going to have the business meeting here at the church. So, February 12th, 9 a.m., will be the annual business meeting. Even if you're not a man, that's very generous of you. Because that's, that's, that's a sacred man time there. So, okay. Take advantage of that. I want to take advantage of that this one time. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. So this evening we're going to be speaking on uh, this topic, yesterday, today, and forever. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, uh, you'll probably see here pretty quickly where I got the title from. That verse says, Jesus Christ, the same Yesterday, and today, and forever. Amen. The Lord our God is eternal. That's one of His immutable characteristics, is that He doesn't change. That's a characteristic of perfection, by the way. If He changed in any way, kind of like when you're at the North Pole, if you move in any direction, you're moving south. 
That's just the way it was. When you're perfect, you move in any way, well, you're not perfect anymore. <clears throat> so he doesn't change. He is always perfect. He will always be the same. Uh, that's one characteristic of God that we will never have. <clears throat> we will never be like God in a lot of areas. We are called to be Christ-like, yes? Okay, well, that doesn't mean that we are going to become God. Please don't ever think that when I'm saying we need to be Christ-like, that we are trying to be God, that someday we will be God. That is never going to be the case. Okay? And those of you that have any relationship with God are okay with that. We're actually quite fine with that. We don't want to be God. He's God. He's doing a great job at it. Uh, there's no reason to, to worry about that. What we're talking about, though, is reflecting God's character. Thinking like He does. Seeing as He sees. Uh, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being Christ-like. But there are things about God that we will never be. We will never be eternal. We are going to live forever, but we had a beginning. God did not. He is from everlasting to everlasting. So, <clears throat> it's actually nowhere in my notes. Um, but it's true. So, He's eternal. He changes not. We, however, are created beings. We have a beginning. We exist presently, and we have an eternal future. Okay. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 states this. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So upon our creation, when we are born into this world, we have God's image stamped indelibly on each of us. We possess the image and likeness of God. Now, we understand because of the fall, that image has been marred. It's, it's broken, it's shattered, it's, it's distorted. But the image is still there. As distorted as it might be, God's image is still upon each human being. And unlike God, we do change. We change. We grow. We mature. Uh, ideas that we held very strongly in the past have been let go for new ideas. Uh, things we thought were true earlier... We no longer think are true. Uh, characteristics inherent to me have changed. Personality traits change and uh, mature as we go on. We are not the same people that we were when we were born. We are not the same people we were ten years ago. We change. Hopefully, we hope for the better. We hope that we grow and mature in a positive direction. But we do change, because unlike God, we are not perfect. 
We are striving for perfection. We are striving for Christ-likeness. Someday, He will perfect us. Amen. But that day is not today. We are still learning, we're still growing, and we still have probably a long way to go. We are progressing through the same time frame that we perceive God passing through, uh, although that perception is not really true. We use phrases like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's scriptural. That's biblical. Obviously, we just read it. But that's from our perspective. That's relative to us. Understand that God does not exist in time. He can interact in time. He can come down and do what He wants here. But He is not stuck there. He moves through all of it. He exists in all of it. Okay? So, that's basically a perception of where we're at. How He interacts with us in His creation. From our perspective, He's the same always. From His perspective, He's the same always, but not necessarily in time. We, however, as we uh, detailed ad nauseum, Last Wednesday, we are stuck in time. And we move through that time frame, that timeline, linearly. We have a yesterday, we have a today, and we're going to have a forever. So what does our yesterday look like? Well, we all had a beginning, didn't we? We were all born into this world the same exact way. The product of the union between one man and one woman. That's how all of us got here. That's not to say you had two parents. We'll get into that in a little bit. But biologically, we all came in the same way. Same exact way. Different nations, different cultures, different socioeconomic stratas, different geography, different families, different family structures, but the same basic biology. Male or female, all born as babies, Hardwired with basic personality, gifts, and talents that our Creator endowed us with. That's what we come into the world with. That's how we come in. And His image stamped on us. But then we grow and we change. Wherever it is we start is hopefully not where we stay. Babies mature, and they learn, and they grow very quickly. They're very curious. They like to learn. They like to explore. And they learn exponentially. And they change because of their learning. We all develop a relationship of some kind with our caregivers, uh, whether it's a loving relationship, uh, kind of a give-or-take relationship, abusive relationship, unfortunately, But we all develop a relationship with that caregiver. That relationship that we develop, no matter how hard we try in later years, does form a significant part of who we are and who we become. Now this ought to be a warning to parents. Because your children 
The children that God gives us are a huge responsibility. It's not to be taken lightly, okay? Our children, when they're born into the world, they are by and large a blank slate. And how we, the relationship that we develop with them, how we interact with them, the things that we teach them, the things that we uh, example in front of them, to a large extent, that's going to determine who they are when they grow up, who they become, what kind of person are they going to be. They'll have the same basic personality, although that can be modified by environment as well. But their, their morality, who they are character-wise, they get that largely from us, the parent, the caregiver, whoever it might be. That's a responsibility to be taken very seriously. Someone said one time, There are no illegitimate children. There are illegitimate parents. I think that's true. Kids are not just an accident from something we did on a Saturday night. You have no idea how much I despise that kind of an attitude. Kids are so much more than that. When someone is born into this world, it's an eternal soul. They're eternal souls. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. And you can try to fix the glitch and have it aborted. You can do what you want. But it's an eternal soul from conception. And to our children, I would say that this is not an excuse to be something other than who you were meant to be. A lot of people can use bad parenting. And (laughs) honestly, I don't know anybody that grew up with perfect parents. I certainly was not a perfect parent. Oh, I'm sorry. With, With two exceptions. Met one. We got to talk. <laughs> but no one has grown up with perfect parents. My kids will be the first to say amen. But we can't use that. I didn't have perfect parents. But I can't use that as an excuse to be stupid, to act stupid. Well, it's not my fault. It's the way I was brought up. Well, that may have been true when I was a kid. Maybe. For sake of argument, we'll say it's true when I'm a kid. But, dude, I'm not a kid anymore. Hopefully, I'm a reasonably mature adult at this point. Maybe I could take responsibility for my own actions now. Maybe I could see that Uh, I have certain things in my life that need to be worked out. 
and rather than blame someone else for it. Because I tell you what, I mean, it's easy to do that, not just in this, but any area. It's easy to blame others. It's easy to, to uh, see what's going wrong in my life and explain it away by saying it's their fault. It's the government's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. Whatever it is. That's easy to do. But see, what you're doing there is you're, you're abdicating every, every bit of uh, authority that you have in that scenario. Now you can't do anything about it. If it's their fault, only they can do something about it. Now I can't do anything. Now I'm a victim. And some people like being the victim. I don't like being a victim. As a Christian, we ought not to... That should be an anathema to our, our, our thinking process. We are not victims. We were not created to be victims. We were created to be victors. So when someone says, and even if it is somebody else's fault, take responsibility for what you can. The first thing you can do is forgive them. And that is huge. And I know what I'm saying when I say that. That's very difficult sometimes to do, to truly do. But you've got to do it. You've got to do it for you. You've got to do it for your walk with God. When you forgive that person, now I can heal. Now I can get over it. Now it doesn't have to be their fault anymore. There's nothing, there's no situation to blame something on. It's gone. How awesome is that? I don't know why, but there are people in the world today that they wear that like a badge of honor. All the problems they have, all the situations they have to endure, I don't understand that. At a fundamental level, I don't understand it. Why, why, would you, why wouldn't you want to fix the problem? Why wouldn't you want to just take care of it and move on? Shed the weight. I don't, I don't get that. But there are people like that. I'm sure there's a reason for it. I just I don't know what it is. <clears throat> so, uh, parents, be warned. This is a huge responsibility, having kids, children. It's not an excuse to grow up weird or strange or subpar. You have a responsibility too. You have a responsibility to do what God called you to do. You have a responsibility to live up, I'm getting ahead of myself, to the image that God has for you. We develop relationships with other family members, some outside of our family circle, some of those relationships are good. They're good for us. Some not so good. <clears throat> but we develop them anyway. We'll probably go through some type of formal education culminating, we hope, in something equivalent to a high school diploma. And then we'll probably move on from there as we grow up. We graduate. We get a job. Uh, maybe and or attend college. Some of us will join the military. Later on, we'll graduate, we'll get a career, get married, have kids, raise a family. And if we continue on, typically we'll have grandkids, probably retire at some point, great-grandkids. And should the Lord tarry, one of our relatives hopefully is going to plant us and cry over us. 
and then they'll move on with their lives eventually until it happens to them. And on and on the process goes. So that's what happens to us. Our past as individuals will fall somewhere in this timeline. Some of us haven't graduated high school yet. Some of us graduated a couple years ago. <clears throat> Some of us graduated a long time ago. <laughs> But in any case, we find ourselves somewhere along that that process. And these experiences, the relationships that we cultivate, good, bad, and indifferent, they mold us and shape us as individuals. And to a large degree, they determine who we become later on. Now, for a non-Christian, this is pretty much all you got, is your experiences good, bad, and indifferent, the relationships that you cultivated or have presently. Those that you're close to, those that you'll respect, you'll probably adopt in some form or fashion their philosophies, their worldviews. If you're a, a strong personality type or a natural leader, maybe you'll convince others to adopt your worldview or philosophies. But these events that transpire in our lives, these, these situations that either happen to us or that happen because of us, they shape us, they mold us, and we'll get more into specifics on that in a little bit. All of us have good, pleasant memories of our past. I don't care how awful your past was, People can typically remember one or more really good things about their past. Birthday party, a present someone got, a friendship that you had, something. I've noticed that when I reminisce about the past, my wife knows I'm very sentimental and I, I do this a lot. Just kidding. I'm not at all sentimental. <coughs> I don't have a yearbook. I threw it away. Uh, I couldn't care less <laughs> than I do right now uh, about what happened in high school. Uh, I have very few pictures of me in the past, uh, and I just I don't think about it. Anyway, but when I do remember the past, I, I think of the good times. I think of the good things, uh, the sledding parties, <laughs> knocking my brother off the cliff, um, those kinds of things are they're good memories. I remember when, I, when we were on the farm uh, and it was springtime. We had lilac bushes all over our, by our, our house. And my bedroom was on the, the top floor and I would throw open the windows on a nice warm summer morning and I would smell that lilac. It just hit me in the face. Wow, I'd be ready to go. It's summer vacation, so of course I was up at like 6.30 seven o'clock, ready to go. <laughs> this is my time. We got stuff to do. And so uh, I remember those things. But I also remember when I was actually living that, I didn't like it at all. 
I didn't like it. I hated being on the farm because it was always work. I hated being out in the boondocks because I couldn't spend time with friends. No one, Dad was at the railroad, you know, he was gone three or four days out of the week, typically, uh, and Mom was busy. I'd, no one was going to drive me a half hour, 40 minutes, to, to get to a friend's house. So that just didn't happen. So it was me and my brother and my sister, eventually, when she got a little bit bigger. But I remember thinking about that and hating it. But every time I think about it now, all I can remember are the good times. I don't know if that's the way everyone is. But unfortunately, even though that's really what I remember, it's the negative events that shape my life. Whether conscious or unconscious, it's those hurts, those wounds, those situations, those disappointments in my life that I can't remember probably most of them. But they affect me. They have affected me. A lot of them I've had to work through, and you have too. Things that happen to us, parents, caregivers who failed us or let us down or even actively hurt us, that will affect someone. That will affect someone at a fundamental level. Friends and relatives we trusted who betrayed us. Wrongs we suffered at the hands of those who should have known better. Wounds, hurts, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. All of these things come into our lives at some point. And if we don't know better, we don't know what to do with it, it just stays. We can push it down. Men are good for that. Compartmentalize it. Just forget about it. Push it down. Eventually it goes away, right? It doesn't go away. It never goes away. Not until you bring it out, you unpack it, and you go through the hard work of processing it and dealing with it. Let the Lord heal that. Things we did ourselves. We said things we regret saying. Anyone ever done that? And you know it just as soon as it comes out of your mouth. I shouldn't have said that. But it's too late. It's already in the past. We engaged in activities we regret doing. We get involved with people we wish we'd have never met. Failures, regrets, people we betrayed, disappointed, let down. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's a lot of truth to that. It doesn't matter if it's true objectively or not. If I believe something about myself strong enough and long enough, I'm going to start to become that. When you tell your kids all the time, why are you so bad? Why are you so poor? Why, 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 do you, why do you do that all the time? What do you think they're going to start thinking? Why am I so bad? I'm just a bad person. That's not true. They're not... Kids do bad things. That's not necessarily who they are. It's something they're doing. And so we we think of these situations that have happened to us, that have happened because of us, 
and we start thinking in ourselves, in our, in, in our minds, that's who I am. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. And you can put on a good show, and I have no idea what the statistics are on this, but I can't, I have to imagine that it's pretty high of the general population that believes this about themselves. That they're just not good people. There are probably people in here who in their heart of hearts think, I'm just not good enough. I'm not a good person. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. I let people down. Maybe you have, but that's not who you are. There's a saying, it says, uh, failure is an event, not a person. Absolutely true. We may have failed in our past. We may have disappointed people in our past. But that doesn't, that's, that doesn't define who we are. That doesn't define who I am. I have failed, but I'm not a failure. I have disappointed, but I'm not a disappointment. As you think in your heart, so are you. What do you believe about yourself? How do you see yourself? Moving on into the present, that little slice of time that we call now. We bring all of this into the present with us. All the baggage, all the good times, all the bad times. All the successes, all the disappointments. All wrapped up into one lump sum that we call now. Who I am now, presently, today. There are two images that are competing for our attention. The image that we have of ourselves, the image that God has of us. When God created us, He created us with a plan in mind. It wasn't necessarily so that you could suffer all of these disappointments and failures and heartaches. His plan for you is quite a bit greater than that. God can use those situations and circumstances toward that end. But it really matters. It's very important to understand that how we see ourselves matters. It's important. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as defeated, failures, disappointments? In our heart of hearts, if I asked most anyone... They would say, no, I'm doing good. No, I'm actually pretty excited about the future. No, I feel, I feel all right. But your actions and your decisions will say otherwise. And you may not even know why you're doing it. Have you ever heard of uh, this, this phenomenon uh, where very successful people will, will sabotage themselves so that they end up failing? They were going to succeed. They were going to do something awesome. But then they do something just stupid, just off the wall, and they blow it. People do that a lot. They self-sabotage. 
because they're afraid of success. More importantly, they can't see themselves as someone who is successful. And so their self-image catches up to them. This is who I am. I have no business doing this. I have no business succeeding in this area. I'm a failure. They would never come out and say that. And they probably have no idea why they keep failing. On the verge of success. But they do. And it's because of that. The image that we have of ourselves is a conglomeration of all of our past rolled up into one easy, simple picture of ourselves. Unfortunately, as I alluded to earlier, we give some parts of our past more weight than others. Typically, the negative aspects. We're more prone to believe those than we are to believe the positives. This self-image is not reality. Someone who's on the outside looking in can, can view everything that happened and say, that's not true at all. You may have had a couple setbacks, but you're definitely not a failure. And you look at him and you're like, you're crazy. I am a total failure. It's not reality. But it does become reality eventually. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We begin to believe that bad is all that's going to come our way. Every negative experience reaffirms and reinforces our poor self-image. Every positive situation we find ourselves in is a fluke or a mistake or it's hiding an even more negative consequence right behind the corner yeah this everything's good right now i'm just waiting for the other boot to drop though you know people like that there's a reason that people are like that there's a reason people expect bad things to happen there's a reason people have a very hard time being optimistic about the future, their future. This self-image affects everything we do, how we conduct ourselves. It enters into our relationships, and it becomes ultimately a self-fulfilling prophecy. <clears throat> I'll just give you one personal example of this. I'll move on. You'll forgive the transparency here. For a very long time, I, like millions of other people, had a very poor self-image, poor self-esteem. I didn't think much of myself. Uh, God has, has brought me through that. Uh, I'm not looking for pity or anything like that. Uh, I truly believe that, that, that God has delivered me from that, and I thank God for that. But there was a time in my life where it wasn't like that. I truly, I, I would enter into every relationship knowing it was, I was going to destroy it at some point. I just didn't know when. So as, as people in that scenario sometimes do, they'll just cut to the chase. I'll just do stuff to, to make it happen now. That way I don't have to sweat it. I don't have to wait it out because it's, it's happening anyway. <clears throat> 
And even when I got into the ministry, when I would meet people, I, had, I brought that into every encounter, that idea, that, that mindset of who I was. Nobody could possibly like me. Nobody could possibly think I'm worth anything. And I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that I was thinking like that until God revealed it to me so that he could begin to heal that. What an awesome thing that is to to be delivered from that. But I brought that into every relationship. I expected that I would smile and, and, you know, I, I read how to win friends and influence people. I knew how to do all of that stuff. But, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that they didn't really want to give me the time of day because I'm not worth it. And I bring that up to say this. There are a lot of people that are in the exact same or very similar situations. They bring that self-image into everything. And they sabotage the best parts of their life. They sabotage what God wants to do in you and through you because of that negative self-image. There is another self-image that's competing against that, and that's the image that God has. Remember, God created you in His image, in His likeness. He didn't create you as God, but He has His image stamped on you, on everyone. Our old self-image is a process, and it becomes this process of self-loathing, self-hate, perpetrating against ourselves what we perceive the world has done against us. We believe that's all that's ever going to come. That's all we're worthy of. That's all we deserve. Why is that? Why does that happen to so many people? It's on purpose. And here's why. The world hates you. This world system is designed against you. It seeks to destroy you. Specifically, it seeks to destroy the image that God stamped on you. If the enemy can hide that, obscure the image of God in you, He's doing pretty good. He can hide that image from you. You're done. Because now all that's left is, yeah, this is who I am. A failure. A disappointment. That image, however marred, however distorted, is still there. Since the fall, our enemy has convinced many, has tried to convince each of you, me, that that is not true, that God has not stamped His image on you, that you're not created in the image and likeness of God. Why do you think they're teaching in schools what they do? You're not a created being. You evolved from a, a monkey. You evolved from there, from a fern. And from there, from a rock. You're a cosmic accident. You shouldn't be here. You have no purpose to your life. What do you think that does to someone when they grow up with that kind of teaching? 
verses. God created you with purpose. He created you with love. He created you specifically. He had you in mind when He hung on the cross. He has a plan for your life. And after this life is done, He wants you to spend an eternity with Him. You see the difference? There can't be any more difference between two ideas. The enemy will try to convince you that that's not true and that you don't matter. You're broken, you're irredeemable, and that's just the way it is. Get used to it. Every bad thing that happened to you is because you deserve it. Let's face it, that's just who you are. The enemy hates you. And he wants you to hate yourself. And he wants you to think God hates you. If he exists at all. If you're going to persist in that idea, then I'll get you to think that he hates you. There are people that believe that too. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, we read an interesting passage of Scripture. Verses 36 through 40. Matthew, chapter 22, 36 through 40. People are asking Jesus some questions. Verse 36, they're asking another question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responds in verse 37 and says unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We said in earlier messages that part of being Christ-like, part of conforming to His image, part of... uh, producing the fruit of the Spirit is that we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. One thing that God loves is you. And I don't know how you feel about that, but your reaction to that statement is going to be very telling. Because I promise you this, I'm not lying. When I read that verse for a long time, I couldn't choke it down. I just I passed over it. Now, love the Lord my God? Yeah, absolutely. He's worthy of love. Look at who He is. Look at what all He's done. He's worthy of my love. But I'm not worthy of His. So I couldn't accept that. And so I didn't love myself. And I'm only saying this. I'm only using this personal example as a, as a representation of where people are at today. I'm not the only one. There are millions of people out there. Way worse than I was. And people think like that. People come into our churches with that kind of baggage. And we don't understand why they do what they do, say what they say. People get scared when revelation starts to come to them. Revelation like this, 
God loves you. What? They understand the words and they'll probably be polite. Oh, okay. But they can't accept it. They can't choke that down. Are we to actually love ourselves? Yes. Yes, we are. I'm not talking about narcissism. I'm not talking about this this eros self-love kind of thing. Not at all. I'm talking about loving what Jesus loves. I'm talking about Jesus died for you. He created you with love and with purpose. He loves you. It's okay to love what God loves. It's okay to love yourself in that capacity. Not narcissism. If God loves you, then we're free to love Him back. And we're free to love ourselves the way God does. We've talked in the past about uh, hating the things that God hates. We hate the enemy. We hate sin. We hate uh, what the enemy is doing, etc., etc., etc. The only way we can do that properly, the only way we can do that the way Jesus does, is if we first love. The reason Jesus hates sin is because he loves us. He knows what sin does to us. Sin destroys. Sin kills. That's why he hates sin. It's because of his love for you. We can't focus on hating sin. It's right to hate sin. But we've got to start with love. It's got to start in love. It's God's desire that we fulfill His image of who we are, not ours. God has this absolutely amazing image of each of you. A powerful, powerful image of who you are in Him. Who He created you to be. And it's not who you think it is. It's so much better. It's so much more powerful. So much more effective. So much more fulfilling and contented. That's who God wants us to be. That's who God wants us to strive to move toward. That's the image He wants of us in our heads. Not this broken, beaten up, shattered Thing, this wounded, hurt individual. If you are wounded and hurt, God can heal you. He most certainly wants to heal you. Take it from me. And He will. Any hurt that you have, any wound that you have, whether self-inflicted or inflicted externally, God can heal that. Why wouldn't you want to be healed of that? Why would you want to carry that 
pain around with you. How do we fulfill that image? Well, if you haven't experienced New Testament salvation, of course, that's the first step. You've got to become a new creature. We've touched on that before, too. You've got to become a new creature. Those old things will pass away. You're still going to remember them. They still happened in the past. God's not going to go back in time and and wipe them out of existence. But what he does do is he removes the guilt, the shame. He removes all the consequences of sin from your life when he forgives you, when he washes you in his holy, precious blood. And you are a new creature. All of that's gone. It's all gone. And we love Jesus because he first loved us. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds too simple. There's going to be a little bit more than that. As you grow and as you mature in God, God will dredge these things up. He will. Sometimes, Jesse, we're here, I could use this. We got to re-break a, a wounded or a, a healed bone, so you can set it, reset it properly. When all you've done is ignore it, push it down, delay it, experience the occasional outburst of anger, it's way out of place. <coughs> God will put you through stuff to reveal those things, to dredge it up so that you can work it out. In this life, we have two possible outcomes sometime in the future. A, the enemy succeeds in completely covering up the image of God in us, and you succumb to your own self-image. Or B, Jesus succeeds in restoring his image in us. And we move forward into Christ-likeness. That's the plan that God has for each of us. Healing. Becoming Christ-like. got to imagine that this message is given for a reason. I don't know who it's to. Maybe it's to me yet. But don't just listen to this and think, yeah, pretty good sermon. Good job tonight. I'll accept it and I'll thank you. But I'd rather you did something with it. God would rather you did something with it. If this applies to you in any way, do something with it. We cannot be effective for God carrying that kind of baggage around. I promise you that. You can't. You can't do what God has called you to do when you've got all that junk yet inside. Let God bring it out, unpack it, deal with it. It's not comfortable. It's not. It's work. 
but it's necessary. It's a part of growing up spiritually. It's a part of being perfected. Did Jesus suffer disappointments? Yeah, he did. He was betrayed. He healed people, probably, who were sitting there jeering at him during the crucifixion. He fed people who would probably never listen to him again. That's ministry, folks. Understand, Jesus created you for a purpose. That purpose has to be fulfilled. It's got to be fulfilled. If it's not fulfilled in your life, to the extent it's not, is the same extent you are going to be disappointed. You are going to struggle. You're going to wonder, why is this happening to me? Why, where is God? Why, aren't, why aren't, isn't He using me like I think I should be used? You will never be content, not truly, until you're doing what God called you to do. Never. There's always going to be that thing in the back of your mind. When you're doing what God called you to do, when you're the person God created you to be, that's gone. You are entirely contented. I'm not saying it's easy, Street. You may be going through an awful situation. But you're content in the knowledge that I am where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do, being who I'm supposed to be. That is a good feeling. That is the place that God wants us to be. Whole. He wants us to be whole. Let God make you that way. Let God work that out in you. Let Him heal you. Let Him perfect you. So that you can do what you're supposed to do. Be who you're supposed to be. really feel like I'm not getting this across effectively. Or maybe it is just for me. This is this is so important to understand. It's so important to know who I am supposed to be in Jesus Christ. There's so much confusion out there. There's so much misinformation and misunderstanding. God created us to be successful. God created us to be victorious. God created us to be overcomers. And when we think of ourselves as anything else, we are out of the plan and will of God. Because that's not who He wants you to be. That's not who He created you to be. That's not where God wants you to be at all. When 
and we are the person that God wanted us to be as he sees us. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to think that I don't have to go through life believing those lies. I don't have to go through life thinking of myself as who I used to see myself as. And that is available to every person in the entire world. It's available to everybody. The lies that I was convinced of, and that's what they are, lies. I was persuaded that I was unlovable. That's not true. Perhaps you're persuaded of things that just aren't true. You are lovable. You are worthy of God's love. You are worthy of a relationship with Him. Because He said so. And He's not a liar. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful that I don't have to live in a manner that's consistent with who I thought I was, but I can live in a manner that's consistent of who you know I am. I can live as a child of the King. I can live as a son or as a daughter of the Most High God, content in your love, content in the relationship that you established with me, Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray that you administer to each and every need within the sound of my voice tonight. Those that believe anything else other than who you see us as, I pray, Lord, that you'd work in their lives complete restoration, complete healing, complete deliverance from that bondage. Set us free to serve you the way you want us to. Set us free to serve you in the capacity that you desire. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so very much for your kind attention.